Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Groundbreakers Transforming Geotech. And today we have Mr. Hamza joining us, who is a geotechnical engineer by study, and he's specializing in geotechnical design and remote sensing, and is currently the regional manager at Geofam, based in Bahrain. And he is also currently pursuing his PhD from IIT Mumbai. So you're going to get a lot of depth, knowledge, and experience in the geotechnical realm from Mr. Hamza today. And thank you so much for being on this episode with me. And I hope that we can give our viewers something new, something exciting, and something enriching to learn about. And I think we can start off by just give me an overview of your career journey, what motivated you to be in the geotech field, and what have you what have you seen really evolve in the past few years? Uh, thank you, Rivitek. It's really awesome to join you in this uh, episode, and I have been following your uh, series, uh, I would say, and it is really a uh, nice initiative from you uh, to group uh, this small community, as you said, uh, all together in the geotechnical and instrumentation monitoring uh, in our field. Uh, so, and thank you for the introduction as well. Um, a brief about my journey, uh, to be honest, I haven't selected uh, or opt to be a civil engineer, but I did opt to be a geotechnical engineer. I remember in my undergraduate, uh, where I got a scholarship in Africa uh, in a civil engineering, and I uh, came to know about the geotechnical engineering that our, our other professors and civil and structural engineering, they used to know, you know, uh, they say there is no much of development in structural engineering. It's one plus one equal two all the time. There is no unpredictable. So I felt that kind of boring, to be honest. Sorry for my structural engineers <laughs> colleagues. But, but uh, in geotechnical engineering, there is no site like the other sites. There is no, even in, within the same site, there is no borehole similar to another borehole. It's um, a ground of unpredictable uncertainty. Uh, so we are not sure what, what we are measuring, how we understand the soil. Till this moment, there is no comprehensive uh, model that captures all aspects of soil. So that kind of grabbed my attention, and I decided I want to peruse in this uh, field. Uh, after my graduation, I was lucky enough to start and join a, a geotechnical investigation. Uh, field. Uh, I, I was involved in geotechnical investigation reports, uh, field testing, lab testing, the SPT, pressure meter, CPT, and those kind of tests. Uh, it it uh, helped me really to understand the soil more closely uh, to some extent. Um, after five years, I perused my master's degree as well in geotechnical engineering because I wanted to know more and more about uh, the geotechnical engineering. But there was a turning point where I joined uh, geotechnical and structural contractor, to be honest, and only then I came to know how important the geotechnical engineering to the other field. Because when we were in, in, in soil investigation laboratories, uh, unfortunately, we are somehow isolated from, from the other uh, uh, loop of the project. So they, they think that they need from us the soil report, small recommendations, what is yeah. the big capacity, and that's it. While when I moved to the structural engineering and construction firm uh, or field, I, I came to know this is only the starting point. The soil report is not the end. It's just the starting point in geotechnical engineering. And everything comes or starts from there. Um, 
in that sense, I could connect the geotechnical engineering with the structural engineering, the soil structure interaction, how how our parameters or, or recommendations matters and affect the projects. Uh, and finally, I moved to the, after five, another five years, I moved to the consultancy uh, field in geotechnical design. And currently, as you said, I'm perusing my PhD uh, program. So that's in a nutshell, I would say, uh, my journey. Wow, that's a long journey. And I think you've got a touch in almost every aspect of the field that someone can. And it's very interesting Hopefully. to talk about the predictive unpredictability of the soil because I remember in, I think our first rock mechanics lecture, Professor Zekos was like, there's one thing that you need to know that everywhere the ground is different. And I think that's something that really is like, wow, because everyone thinks that it's a building, it's another residential complex, another metro, but the, the complexity really starts when you really realize that there's so many more parameters that go into this, whether it's on the construction side, the one plus one in the structural engineering, or even the site investigation reports. So I think that's great. And you've also been involved in a couple of high profile, big projects like the high speed rail, like the Riyadh Metro. So when it comes to young engineers, how would you say that these projects work? What have been some of the challenges you face as a geotech? And what are some things that you learned? Uh, well, it was a really significant learning process uh, joining in these uh, mega projects, I would say, because you, uh, you will encounter that it's not a one-man show or it's not one field show it's not only about geotechnical engineering or civil engineering or mechanical yeah. um the 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 problem or the challenge was always multidisciplinary there is a lot of fields uh, and engineers and teams uh, in, encounter together but the main challenge i would say was the communication among those teams i i came to see many of the problems uh, where I can go on site because the lack of communication, for example, between the site team or the design team or between the geotechnical team and the structural team. So there is always a lack of communication. And I think that was the cornerstone uh, for such kind of problems to enhance what we know now as a digital twinning and BIM and uh, monitoring and integration. So because previously they, there was a lot of data there were a lot of data but it's of no use it's archived it's the in dusty files and nobody used them nobody integrate and connect them together so that i believe was a cornerstone to to enhance this integration uh, in our field so i i believe that, that that was one of the main challenge another challenge for for young engineers when i started young engineers uh, of course that if 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 you are seeing something going wrong or 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 you want to advise or apply what you have learned and and uh in the field there is always this age limitation because they 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 used to have this stereotyping of uh, seeing a gray or white haired guy he, he will advise or he should advise while you will 
uh, be a listener but my my simple and humble advice that don't don't fear out of of uh, speaking what you learn uh, everyone has a different perspective a different angle how he uh, or she is evaluating the problem uh, so uh, just be confident and and share your information share your knowledge and uh, and keep learning we are all keep learning uh, there is no end especially in geotechnical engineering again and again one plus one equal two, but not in geotechnical engineering. It could be one day we wake up and, and we discover something new and one plus one might be equal three. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's very good advice, especially the second part where you're saying that, like, speak what you think is correct. And you're always learning. And I think that's something very important as you progress in our careers. And about data, one of the big motivations for our team to start Procure, again, was that lack of data, lack of communication to really bring it together that it doesn't matter if it's a digital twin or a UAV or NSAR or sensors, people need to be informed and people need to know that, you know, this is what we're doing and really solving that iron triangle of value time and uh, cost and balancing that out. Because I think if we figure that challenge out and really give opportunities to everyone. It'll be very, very progressive in our field as well. So my next question is that at GeoFM, you're doing NSAR monitoring as one of your major roles. And could you explain this technology to some people who are just hearing it as a buzzword and like what it is, how it's helping projects and how it can really add value? Sure. So when when we usually refer to the satellite and remote sensing people, usually they, they tend to link it with imagery or Google Earth uh, images and uh, optical satellites and those kind of stuff. And they wonder how we are using the satellite to monitor the ground. But to be honest, uh, NSAR satellite remote sensing is, is one of, uh, I, I'm seeing the development and and uh, the, the, the technology or the the construction field start to recognize its importance, but not yet fully appreciated. Uh, it, it has so many capabilities and uh, applications and advantages that yet to be utilized in the construction sector and the construction engineering field. Um, imagine that if we have the ability to access any location on the ground, any location on the ground remotely from the space, not only in the present time, but we can go and travel back in time. So we call it sometimes internally in GeoFM, we call NSAR as the time capsule, because when something goes wrong, and unfortunately, this is this is also a bad habit in the practice uh, currently, they do not realize the importance of the monitoring unless a problem happened. But the monitoring system should not be used on that basis. It should be proactive, not reactive system. You you should adopt monitoring system before anything goes wrong, uh, because if things can go wrong, you, you can avoid it, or you can learn from your data and enhance the other projects and keep uh, an eye on your projects and assets. But let's say if something goes wrong and you didn't, unfortunately, uh, use or utilize monitoring system, the only option, I, I would say the only or one of the only options available is the NSAR satellite remote sensing, because with that tool, you can travel back in time and see when this problem, let it be a, a slope stability failure or um, uh, excavation failure or uh, deformation of a building or a ground or a foundation, uh, you want to know what uh, causes what 
derives it to fail and what could be the, the, the reasons behind it. So NSAR will be uh, one of your assets to identify and evaluate uh, these. And a lot of people surprised about the accuracy because you they think it's thousands of kilometers uh, or meters away above the ground, how accurate it could be to capture the, the deformation and the monitoring. But the, the answer is quite shocking for, for the people outside this field. It's uh, accuracy is uh, usually between one to four millimeter in, in terms of uh, deformation and movement accuracy. And the spatial accuracy, it it, uh, it varies as, uh, I don't want to go too technical into uh, this. I'm, I don't want to bore the people, but in a nutshell that the accuracy of NSAR uh, satellite remote sensing is quite accurate uh, from one to four millimeter. It has been validated by national and international uh, scale uh, because uh, as you uh, know that many of the satellites uh, that utilize NSAR is public satellites uh, available for everyone, available for free. Uh, the major or the most famous one is Sentinel-1, for example, from the European Space Agency. Uh, so anyone is free to use it, but uh, how to use it, uh, what skills you need to analyze and interpret and read the, the data out of it, uh, this is the skills we, we are adopting in Japan. Yeah. I think that's a great explanation, and I think three points stood out to me. One is the importance of monitoring, whether it's through NSAR, sensors, total stations, or GNSS, because... All these technologies are evolving and with INSAR, you get millimeter level accuracy. With GNSS, you get that as well. And it does work as an early warning system. So you would rather have it. It's like your life insurance today, right? Like you want your life insurance, but you never want yeah. to claim it. And I think the second part was that with more satellites launching and the key thing that you said about getting data from the past, right? Because you do learn as the site movement changes, you do like even with our inclinometers, we see how construction is progressing. We see how the lateral movement is happening. And with INSAR, you can actually go back years in time. And then if you do a bit of time series analysis, you can also give a suggestion predictive in the future. So it's actually like time traveling on a construction site. So the value of remote sensing really, really is coming up. And I feel like you'll have data every day in the next 18 months to two years with the amount of data that's coming. And when you couple it with NSAR, with ground-based sensors, with surveying, and with other different types of satellite data that we're hearing about, like hyperspectral, you really get that layered approach and you really get every single aspect of your construction site monitored and linked to your construction schedule, progress, et cetera. So I think it was a very interesting overview and now people know slightly what INSAR is, satellite monitoring, giving you millimeter level accuracy about the changes of your ground at any point where you can access the data from. And it's available for free. So if you want some yeah. tips on how to analyze, you can always reach out to Hamza and he can help you. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. And and exactly what, what you have said about the cabling, to be honest, this is the key uh, aspect of, of the monitoring solution. Like everything else, like in medicine, there is no one solution fits all. There is no one medicine fits all. So in geotechnical engineering, it's pretty much the same. There is no one ground improvement method that fits all the projects. Yeah. There is no one type of foundation fits all, and there is no one type of monitoring fits all. But cabling between those technologies would provide the most valuable asset to, 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 to you, to a team in a project, to a client, to an owner, uh, because 
no matter how we speak about how good INSAR or remote sensing is, but there are limitations, of course, for each and every uh, technologies. And uh, I might bring some uh, examples about uh, those technologies and, and uh, limitations and challenges as we progressing in this uh, talk. Yeah, maybe we can go ahead with that if you want to continue the oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, so I I I do remember in one in one of the projects uh, in in the Gulf uh, countries in one of the Gulf countries it was an embankment, uh, recently constructed and um, for a bridge for a highway bridge and uh, not uh, uh, it it doesn't take much time to recognize there was uh, failures and cracks occurring on sites and deformation, some kind of lateral movements as well, and they were not sure what what went wrong in in that, and we was not sure as well. We were not sure what are the reasons behind it because on papers everything looks all right, the the design, the soil profile, everything went uh, was okay but we still couldn't figure out what could uh, be uh, wrong and we didn't understand as well the trend uh, or the direction or the exact magnitude of the movement we just have visual visual inspection uh, some sort of uh, survey on land survey but of course that doesn't give you much of an information so we decided to use NC2 monitoring, and uh, it was a big, hectic process to convince the client, to be honest, why they do need uh, NC2 monitoring. They they said, no. Well, what is the reason? We please go and solve this problem on site uh, and and fix my my cracks. We told them no. We 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 don't really recommend uh, what we call it makeup. Uh, repairs. So it's that just surficial repair and the problems will keep occurring unless you understand the root cause uh, of the problem, you will not be able to solve it. And this is very important, especially in geotechnical engineering. You have to understand what caused this failure before you attempt and, and solve it. So after many discussions and meetings, uh, we convinced them to use uh, the uh, some of uh, the NC2 monitoring. Uh, it was inclinometer, uh, mm. extenso inclinometer as well uh, to to be able to extract 3D dimension. But again, the the main challenge was where to place them. Yeah. We have like hundred meters uh, of uh, of uh, uh, or a couple of hundred meters of of uh, embankment, and where to place them? They allow us only to install two devices. So it was we we did. But it was kind of a gamble to decide where we could place uh, those two efficiently to get most of the information. That was before uh, I, I, I joined uh, Geofirm and came to know about the INSAR remote sensing and this kind of technology. And now I can relate if, if we uh, had an access for such kind of technology, we could run it, the INSAR, and as you said, we can couple it with other NC2 monitoring, like in this case, the, the inclinometer, and we can identify when we uh, uh, do the retrospective analysis of the INSAR, we can see in the past when this issue was created and where, and we could optimize the layout of the INSAR, and I believe we could convince the client more easily that no, you need more than two, and you need it in this location and that location because you have problems here and there, and by that we can cable both of the technologies for one goal to, this, to solve the problem of that project. 
So that was one main and clear example for me how both technologies support each other, the in situ and the remote sensing. Yeah, I think that's that's a great example because you'll also get to compare both types of data, right? Like you're getting settlement from inside, you're getting settlement from an inclinometer with settlement or an extensiometer. And you actually see that like this is the difference, this is what's actually happening. And then when you couple it with maybe a laser scan and put it on the digital twin of your asset, you can really get that whole feel of your infrastructure. And I think that's something that will really help engineers as well, because right now in our industry, I think in the little six months that I've been out there, I've been seeing a lot of people still use Excel. A lot of people still have 10,000 graphs as engineers on site. And it's tough for them to really be like, this point is this, this point is that. But if you give them that tool where it's like an analysis tool where they can really easily know that, you know, this point, there's an issue, go check it out. This is the trend on this point, everything's okay. And then you go to another level and you go to an asset owner and be like, with all of these technologies, it's like a restaurant, you pick what you want, we'll give you our suggestions. And you start monitoring and based over time, we can always increase the amount of monitoring. If it's all good, you don't need more monitoring. If there's an issue, let's monitor it. Let's take action now, whether it's from a drone or from inside or from a sensor, it does not matter, but let's make everyone yeah. safe and let's make the construction process smooth. And yeah, so I have a follow-up question. So there's a lot of old infrastructure, like especially in the US, there's I think out of the around 90,000 to 100,000 dams, most of them are under high risk or significant risk. And even we have a lot of heritage sites globally. So how do you think remote sensing there can really, really benefit people who are looking at maintaining the infrastructure? Uh, awesome, awesome question, because indeed, uh, not only in the US, also in our regions, uh, me coming from the Gulf region and the Middle East and uh, uh, this, the, this part of the world, we do have, as you said, a lot of uh, old structure, ancient and heritage, uh, a lot of UNESCO uh, buildings and sites that are massive and huge in, in, uh, in, uh, in area and uh, in... in uh, uh, an amount of the buildings need to be protected and we have seen many failures took place even i believe there was a, a residential tower i i believe in in california if i'm not mistaken uh, last year uh, it was collapsed because uh, it exceeded its design life and there was not enough inspection and not enough uh, monitoring uh, for it and still there are arguments what are the the the, the causes or the root cause of the problem but we, I, I believe the coupling uh, between the different technologies available for the uh, in monitoring uh, for those kind of sites is essential to avoid such kind of failures and problems on site. Because on one hand, it's not really practical and it is costly to cover all the buildings in those areas and all the area with in situ monitoring. We can fill it, uh, all the buildings with the, with the strain gauges, with tilt meters, crack meters, but, but uh, to be realistic, who gonna pay for it? Uh, the municipalities, the the landowners. It's always a dispute between uh, the different stakeholders and parties. Who who should pay for that? And still, unfortunately, still in many of these occasions, the monitoring is not yet appreciated because yeah, okay, monitoring we can use it, but we 
they, the mentality is still that we can send someone to inspect it visually and give the engineering report, you know, this problem, there is no problem or you need a strengthening here and there. But unless you don't know the details of the movement, the details of the deformation, how it moves with time, how it deforms with time, how it behaves uh, with time, you will not be able uh, to solve it. And using a coupling between those techniques, you could optimize reduce and use them efficiently uh, to reduce the cost, but yet don't compromise on the safety for those uh, structures and buildings. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it together. And uh, it is super important to really, I think one of our missions here is also to educate not only young engineers and motivate them about the field, but also raise our voice to the people who are making these decisions that, you know what, we're here to help you as different companies working together as well, even if we're not officially working together, because at the end of the day, what really matters to all of us in the community is the safety of our structure, safety of our residents and safety of our communities. And I think the best way to do it is through monitoring until we have another breakthrough, like AI coming in in our field or something that we don't know. So bridging onto that uh, breakthrough, so remote sensing is coming as a breakthrough, IoT is coming in as a breakthrough, digital twins, even though they've been there for a long time, are now becoming a big buzzword in our industry. So how do you see these different technologies, or if I missed out on any, really helping us become more efficient and progress in our field of monitoring and construction? Uh, yeah, exactly. I, actually, as as uh, you said, this uh, there are trend or booming in, in the use of these uh, terminologies, the digital twinning, the BIM, the IoT, IIoT. Uh, but that didn't came out of blue. It was, as, as I mentioned before, it was years of struggles of disconnected data, uh, archive data of no use. And there is a huge, especially when we come to ground engineering and, and uh, monitoring and uh, structural health monitoring, there are huge of data available every year uh, and different type of data from, from the ground, from movement, precipitation, temperature, strain, deformation, movement, uh, stresses, but they they are all unfortunately not not let's not say all but most of them uh, are of no use because they are not connected you can inter interpret and analyze each of type of these data or each set of these data uh, individually but no one were previously coupling all of them most of them, a few of them maybe but all of them to be connected and help you to uh, decide according to all of these data integrated with each other's it was not there simply and that was i believe the main derive to to move towards the digital twinning and bim so it's not just a fancy word or or a technology we want to apply to our project no it, it does really help us to understand as you say the big picture we need to step back and see the whole picture and understand the whole uh, situation and the whole behavior of, of not only my asset, but how my asset is affected by the other uh, assets, by by other um, construction activities or, or projects going nearby, the climate change, uh, the geohazards now is, is a big issue uh, we are facing uh, worldwide. So all these kind of stuff, the key solution is monitoring because as as uh, the uh, the uh, 
for myself being a lead uh, green associate as well, uh, yeah. I I like to quote that uh, from from the U.S. Green Building uh, Code or or practice guidelines that you cannot control what you cannot measure. So it's it's really nice quote because it is true that if you cannot measure it, you cannot control it. If you yeah. don't monitor it, if you don't know it, you cannot control it. Yeah. And and that's simply it is yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way to tagline the podcast. Now, if you can't measure it, you can't control it. And today we exactly. need ways to measure it and then we can take action to control it. So I think my last question to you is that we've talked a lot about different technologies, the importance of technologies. We've talked a lot about geotechnical. We've talked about your experiences. So for a young kid still in high school or still in college studying civil engineering, what would be your way to tell them that, you know what, geotechnical engineering is cool and you should check it out and maybe monitoring and BIM as well? Yeah, awesome. Uh, before jumping to that, I just uh, remember one point I wanted yes. to highlight because when you said it's our uh, job not only to to do the right things, but also to educate and increase the awareness. And, and that's actually true. And one part of or the major part of this responsibility i would say it comes uh, to the regulators uh, to the standards uh, standards and and guidelines uh, uh, authorities and and uh, communities because um, I, I believe in one of my discussions with with an insurance company in germany they 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 mentioned to me that they encourage monitoring uh, in in the construction field in germany and they do uh, have some advantages or privilege for the people who adopt monitoring in their buildings and, and uh, assets. If you use a monitoring or adopt monitoring of any kind in, in your uh, project or in your asset, they give them privilege like in terms of a discount uh, or discounted insurance or, or more comprehensive insurance which is really good because without, in certain cases, we can, yes, do our best and educate and increase the awareness of the public. But at the end, you need a regulator body. From my humble opinion, you need to strengthen your perspective and point of view with a regulator body to tell them, you at least encourage them, at least give those people who adopt and appreciate the importance of the monitoring, you will get an advantage because it's not helping you only, it's helping the whole country. If God forbid something collapsed, if, if a private uh, residential tower collapses, it's, it's not only the owner of that building who will be affected, it's the community, the society, the people who live there, the people who will live around that and the country and eventually the whole globe will be affected so if we start from this to the globe and start appreciating the monitoring then uh, we will come to see the real benefits and advantages of of the monitoring system now moving to your question about the young uh, and future geotechnical engineers uh, well if if uh, you guys still didn't recognize how how cool the geotechnical engineering is uh, just think uh, about what uh, I have mentioned earlier uh, when I said that one plus one equal two in structural engineering, but uh, in, in and other type of engineering, uh, engineering technical engineering, it is not. It is a it's a mystery. Uh, it's a mysterious uh, field. Uh, it is uncertain. A lot of uncertainties in the ground and I use I would use a quote uh, I learned from one of 
of my professors and and the master uh, program he he told us to encourage us uh, appreciate geotechnical engineering more he said understanding the soil uh, and the soil mechanics and the geotechnical engineering and ground uh, is understanding human because we after all we have been made out of soil out of dirt so think in that perspective that when you because we are just like the ground we are heterogeneous complex um, uncertain unpredictable uh, as a human being so that also applicable to the ground engineering with all due respect for all the other type of field uh, and the engineering uh, spectrum um, as i said there is no one uh, field show or one man show or one engineer show in any projects it's all uh, cooperation and teamwork among different teams different fields and everyone has his important role but if you find your passion and your technical engineering just follow it yeah i think that's a brilliant brilliant way to end it and it's been a lot of inspiring quotes great insights and it's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast hamza Thank you so much for your time and I look forward to an other episode in the future to recap and see where the field has evolved and for you to share more experiences, of course. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ravitek. My pleasure. And always remember, if you cannot measure it, you cannot control it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.